series. Uh, this is a, I've been loving this series. I hope you guys have too. Uh, small groups have been going on. I've been getting a lot of good feedback. A lot of you guys have been really liking and enjoying and learning a lot from uh, the small groups, the small group discussions. And uh, we just want to encourage you, if you haven't gotten in, it's not too late. Join in. If you haven't read the book, if you're not going to read the book, you can still go to the group. The discussions are 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 in 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 are good whether or not you've read the book or not. That's all that we need to say. Tonight, today's message is a person of one thing, and so what a what an awesome message! What an awesome idea! So as we continue to talk about after God's own heart and how to become a person after God's own heart. One of the things that we need to do is we need to become a person of one thing. We need this in our lives. We need to become a person of one thing. And so what does this mean? What does it mean to be a person of one thing? It means to have a single devotion in our life. In the Song of Solomon, it talks about how we are to have dove's eyes. Dove's eyes. And a dove's eye is, is it can only focus on one thing at a time. It can't look around and see. We don't, you can't look and see and see in your peripheral vision something else. A dove's eye is singular. It only brings in one object at a time. And so this is, this is one thing. This is, this is who we are. This is, the, this is the quality that we need to develop within ourselves so that we can wholeheartedly run after God for all of our life. Becoming a person of one thing will give us the strength. It will give us what we need to continue to run the race, to continue to follow after Jesus. Psalm 27, verse 4. I want to I go to Psalm 27 before I even begin in verse 4, which begins with one thing. Uh, it says Psalm 27, verse 4, or Psalm 27. And so I'm reading out of New King James. And so if we look at the, at the text... They have these little headings in there. And the little heading says, an exuberant declaration of faith. An exuberant declaration of faith. Have you done something in your life exuberantly? Anything? I mean, we, could, we can name some stuff. There's things that we do exuberantly, and then there's things that we do casually. Psalm 27 is not a casual declaration of faith. It's an exuberant declaration of faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Are we, are we exuberant about that or are we just casual about it? The Lord is my light and salvation. Or are we exuberant? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Come on, it's an, it's an exuberant declaration of faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. He's the strength of my life. The Spirit of God is here to, to strengthen weak hands this morning. I, I honestly believe that with all, of my, with all of my spirit, that the Spirit of God is here to strengthen weak hands this morning. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord. David is placing his confidence in the fact that he has had one desire of the Lord. 
Glory to God. Thank you, Fred. I was just in my way. David is declaring this exuberant fact. He is put, he's placing his confidence. He's not placing his confidence in, in swords or, her, or chariots or horses or whatever the power of the day was. He's not placing his confidence in the walled city. He's placing his confidence in, in the fact that he has one desire. In this I will be confident. One thing have I desired, that shall I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Oh, that I might be found in the house of the Lord. There's one desire of my life. I want to be in where God's presence is. To behold the beauty of the Lord. To look at how glorious and beautiful God is. And to inquire in his temple. This is mind-blowing for me. Should be. Come on. One thing have I desired. that I want to just dwell in the house of the Lord, right? So in, in David's day, the house of the Lord is where the presence was. Yeah. I want to dwell where the presence of God is. The presence of God is here because we're all here. The presence of God is always here. Uh, in this room, in this sanctuary, in this place where we continually lift up praise before him, the presence of God is in your secret place. The presence of God is wherever you make communion with God. And we need to become a people who regularly make communion with God, who become well acquainted with communing with God. It's not just spending time with God. We need to be a people that commune with God. We live with him. We fellowship with him on a deep level. Oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. This is my one thing have I desired of the Lord. This is the one thing that I want. I just want to be in God's presence. So that I can behold his beauty. I want to be there so that I can see him. I want to be in the presence of the Lord so that he can give me good stuff. I want to be in the presence of the Lord so that I can go out and pray for the sick. I want to be in the presence of the Lord so that I can preach a good message. I want to preach. I want to be in the presence of the Lord so that I can serve so-and-so really well. I want to be in the presence of the Lord so that it all falls short. It all falls short. Are we supposed to do good works? Yes. Are we to go to God so that we can do good works? No. No. <laughs> someone, who, someone who goes and, and performs a function so that, so that they can perform a function, it's, it's a job. It becomes a job. You become a professional. I don't ever want to be a professional with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I go and I'm spending time in the presence of the Lord just so that I can heal somebody, it's become a job for me. It should never become a job for us because when our intimate life with Jesus becomes about what the job that we're going to do is, there's a, there's a word that we have for people that are intimate and it's their profession. And we don't want that to be us. We don't want that to be us. We don't want to be intimate because of the job that Jesus has given us. We want to be intimate with Jesus because we get to learn who he is and then from that place, we do the works that he's put on our heart. Not because it's our job, but because we can't help ourselves. 
We can't help ourselves. I, I'm compelled. The love of Christ compels me. It grips my heart and it pulls me toward this thing. I have to go and volunteer and feed the sick. I have to go and stand for life for the unborn. I have to because God's love is just wrecking me. Because I'm in this place of intimacy with the Lord, I have to do these works. I mean, I'm invited to. It's not an obligation. There's an invitation to behold the beauty of the Lord, that we could come to a place of intimacy with him and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. I know he's going to protect me. He's going to take care of me. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. The Lord is just going to see it all through. He's going to see it all through. Every, every trial, every circumstance, everything that can come against us, God's got it. God's got it. God's got it. He is the author and he is the finisher of your faith. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Psalm 139, there are books written about your life. God knows every single thing that's going to happen in your life. He knows the end from the beginning. God's not surprised at anything that happens. We're surprised. We're continually surprised. God's not surprised. God's never surprised. Nothing is going to happen today where God's like, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> he shall set me high upon a rock. He's going to lift me up. He's going to put me in the place of prominence that he wants me in. He's going to hide me in the secret place and he's going to protect me. So there's this secret place where I'm hidden and nobody can see me. And then there's the high upon the rock where he's bringing me up to a place of the glory that he wants me to shine in. But if we're not willing to go to the secret place where we're hidden and we're humble, then God's not going to bring us to the, to the rock where we're high and we're exalted. If we're not ready, we, we're not ready for the rock to be exalted if we're not ready to be humbled. We can't have one without the other. If we try to get the rock without being ready to be humbled, we come into a place of pride. And what happens? God resists the proud. God help us if God ever is resisting us because we will never win. Listen, all of you against God and you'll still lose. All of humanity against God will still lose. Matthew said this, Jesus said this in Matthew. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. He's talking about worry. <laughs> He's talking about worry. He's talking about anxiety. He's talking about stress. He's talking about all the things that we continually run after. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a sermon series because it's kind of quiet in here. <laughs> stress, stress, stress. Anxiety, worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. And how many of us worry? How many of us can't bring ourselves to a place where we stop worrying, where we stop running these things through our mind? Jesus said, don't worry. Why do we still worry? It's a message, sermon series, it's coming. Stay tuned, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. But seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of the rest of everything that you need will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that shall I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. Seek first the kingdom of God. The first thing you want in your life is a desire to run after and get close to God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Listen, when I first got saved, I started reading my Bible. I started at Matthew. And six chapters in, I stumbled across this verse. And I'm like, I'm going to try to do this to the best of my ability. I'm not going to say, I said, done. Although I would say that. I said, I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else that you need in your life, it'll be added to you. This is not just a scripture for pastors. This is not just a scripture for people who want to go into the missionary or into the mission field or who... This is a scripture for any Christian who really wants to follow Jesus. You may be a marketplace minister. You may, you may work 50, 60, 70 years because that's where God has you. That's where God wants you. That's what you're called to do. Being in the industry, whatever it is, isn't wrong. It's just where God has you. And that's fine. God has me here. God had me in a different place for 20 years. And so I sought first the kingdom of God while I was there. And now I continue to seek first the kingdom of God while I'm here. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom. The king's domain. Kingdom. King's domain. The kingdom is where the king has dominion over. Right? The king has dominion. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and preach the gospel. Raise the dead, heal the sick. The kingdom, the king's domain. It's where Jesus has authority. It's where the king has authority. Seek first the the kingdom of God. Seek first the king's domain of God upon the earth. And as we seek for the fact that God is sovereign over all, he'll simply add and he'll give us whatever it is that we need because the whole thing is his anyways. It's all his. He's the king. It's his dominion. He owns it all. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine, says the Lord. And so when we wake up in the morning and we have a need of whatever, God's like, okay, you can have that. Now, when we have a want, we may have to go get that for ourselves. Needs and wants. Whew. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. We will not accidentally lay hold of the highest call of God for our life. We won't do it by accident. You may be a marketplace minister. You may be in the workplace your whole life. You may, you know, maybe you will go to a foreign nation. Maybe God's calling you to foreign nations. Maybe God's calling you to to volunteer at a light down in Troy on a, on a larger, maybe God's calling you to whatever, fill in the blank, go to your secret place, pray and find out what, it's, what it is that God has for you. But here's the reality of the situation is that we will never walk into the highest calling of what God has for our life on accident. We're not going to be having our Bible sit on the shelf with dust collecting and us walking down the street and God slap us upside the head and say, hey, you know, 
here's the million dollars, go and do this. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen because our hearts aren't right. And we cannot be trusted with our own desires. Man cannot be trusted with our own desires. And so we go and we find God in the secret place. We become a person of one thing. We become a person who our heart's desire is to fulfill the kingdom of God here in the earth. And God begins to give us everything we need to accomplish that which he's called us to. It's his will. It's his bill. God's got me here in the state of New York, so he's going to have to provide extra funding because taxes are higher in New York State. God's got me here in the state of New York, in the city of Troy, and so he's going to have to provide a way for me to escape the miserable, dreadful winters and get to Florida once, uh, one week out of the winter. He's going to have to provide this for me. Okay, he doesn't have to provide that. He's not obliged to provide that, but it'd be nice, Lord. Ha ah. Seek first the kingdom of God. Our countenance, who we are, the words we speak, will always reflect the reality of the world that we are most aware of. Somebody say amen. amen. Our countenance, the words that we speak, the things that we do, the way we behave, will always reflect the reality of the world that we are most aware of. What are we most aware of? Are we most aware of God's kingdom? Because we've sought God and we've made it our practice to regularly seek God? Are we most aware of, God help me, I was so aggravated with Facebook this week. I'm not even going to go there. Are we most aware of our news feed on Facebook? Are we most aware of our news feed from the news? Are we most aware of what goes on on the TV? Are we most aware of what goes on in Washington? Are we most aware of what goes on in the UN? Are we most aware of what goes on on the street? Are we most aware of the, uh, the, the, the little whatever you want to call it in the break room at work? What are we most aware of? the controversy going on in our own family. What are we most aware of? Are we aware of the kingdom? Because if we are aware of the kingdom, come on, listen, if we're aware of the kingdom, if we're aware of Jesus, if that's the thing that we're most aware of, if we have dedicated ourselves to one thing have I desired, that shall I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord. If we're beholding of who God is, then we, when we walk into a place, we change the atmosphere. Light sends out and it, and it dispels the darkness. The darkness has no power over the light, has no power. But what are we most aware of? Are we aware of the light that's in our life? Have we, have we spent the time to steal away, to seek Jesus, to become aware of his kingdom so that we can bring it with us? Are we ministers of the kingdom of God or are we aware of the kingdom of God, but we can't minister because we don't have it with us? God is calling every Christian, every Christian, anyone that would declare the name of Jesus Christ to come into a place where we would seek him to a point where we are filled with the authority and the presence of God, the awareness of God, that when we walk into a place, darkness is dispelled. Yeah. 
to a place where we don't even have to speak words, but the very presence that goes with us will push back the powers of darkness. It's possible. I've seen it in my own life. You've seen it in your life. Have you ever gone over to a friend's house and things are like crazy, you know, just crazy? And then those same people, those same people come to your house and suddenly it's just, it's calm. That's because you walk in the peace of God. I don't know if you've recognized this in your life. I've seen this in my life on more than one occasion. People come into our house and things are just peaceful. It doesn't matter if they're an agitator. The Spirit of God in the house won't allow them to agitate. What presence, that same presence that's, that's in my house because I have the authority to there, I can bring with me. And to a measure, I have that same authority no matter where I go. Now, it may be that when I go to, the, go to that other house, I may not have the same level of authority that I have in my own house, but I have authority. I have light, and I dispel darkness because that's the power of God in me. It's not me. It's not me. I haven't done anything except to seek first the kingdom of God, spend time with Jesus. He fills me, and I go, and I become a light because of him. I haven't done anything. It's all God. <clears throat> Are we more aware of the problem or are we more aware of the solution? Are we more aware of the problem or are we more aware of the solution? Do we concentrate more on the problem or do we concentrate more on the, the solution? <clears throat> the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem. The problem doesn't change. But if we seek God, he'll drop in the solution. We don't even have to be thinking about the problem. We're just seeking God and all of a sudden he's like, drops in a thought. I got the solution. I know how we're going to do that. I know how we're going to face this challenge. <clears throat> Excuse me. Luke 10, 38. We're going to end with this portion of Scripture. Actually, we might read one verse after this, but it's all relating to Mary and Martha. Now, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now listen, we've heard this story told, preached to us a thousand times. Martha had a, an ability that we cannot overlook. We all, want, we all read this story and we all want to become Mary, right? Because Mary, we'll, we'll find out in a minute, she chose the good part, right? But Martha had the ability to get Jesus to come into the house. We can't overlook that. Martha had the ability to get Jesus to come to her house. Mary wasn't involved in that process. Martha welcomed Jesus into the house. Martha said, hey, Jesus, come on in. And so we all need a little bit of Martha in us to get Jesus to come in. And then it says, and, and she had a sister, Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now look at where the story goes. It says, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Martha's like, listen, I invited you in. I committed to the process. My sister should have helped me. Did you clear that with her before you made the invitation? Just saying. <clears throat> 
but it sets it up perfectly. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, listen, I'm not saying that we don't need to serve if we've made the invitation. We do. When we invite people over to our house for dinner, we've got to cook dinner. (laughs) Hey, come over to my house and have dinner. Where's dinner? I don't know. I'm just going to be merry now. (laughs) No. Come on, be a person of your word. Be a person of your word. Martha needed to be a person of her word. The problem she got into is that she was putting expectations on someone else that they should be doing something that they committed themselves to do. Oh, oh, here's, and here's the issue that we run into. We, we know God's calling on my life, and so we project that same thing upon everybody else's life. What did did Paul warn warn us against in Romans? He said, listen, don't put the same burden on your brother that you put on yourself. If you're going to eat vegetables, that's fine. Don't put that burden on everybody else. (laughs) Eat vegetables only, right? That's the scripture. If you're going to eat vegetables only, don't put that burden on everybody else. That's not what the word says. We have liberty. Don't abuse your liberty. Don't Don't go around saying, hey, listen, this is my liberty to do this, and then cause your brother to stumble. But don't put the burdens on other people. This is what's happening here with Martha. And Jesus answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried. Here we go again, worried. Don't worry. We already brought that up. Don't worry. You are worried and troubled about many things. Worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. One thing. Mary was a person of one thing. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Mary has chosen the one thing. There's one thing, and it's to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's to seek first the kingdom of God, because then everything else will be added to us. When we seek first the kingdom of God, when we seek first to come to the place of the kingdom of God until it's flowing out of our hearts, when we do that, everything else is going to come. Listen, I'm not saying that you, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and you're going to be a millionaire. You may not. I'm not saying seek first the kingdom of God and and everything is going to go perfectly smooth. Far from it. Seek first the kingdom of God, and when the storm rages, you'll have peace in the midst of the storm. Because storms are going to come. If I know one thing after having been a Christian for 27 years and walking this out, the storms still come daily. The storms don't stop. But I have peace in the midst of the storm, and when I throw out my back, I'm like, big deal. You can't stop me, devil. I'm not going to not preach the word of God because my back's a little sore. I'll stretch. I'll do what I got to do, and I'm going to go for the gold. I'll give it everything. And Jesus is going to meet me and heal me to give me what I need. He will add to me the righteousness that I need. He will add to me every single thing that I need. One thing is needed. Mary was a person of one thing. Mary was a person of one thing. This kind of devotion, I'm going to warn you right now, the book talks about this. This kind of devotion makes other Christians uncomfortable. When we decide to become a person of one thing and we're like, no, I can't, I can't stay up late because I got to get up early to read my word. Oh, come on. Other Christians aren't comfortable with that. Casual Christians are not comfortable with that. They will ridicule you. And if that's the most, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Persecution you ever go through, God bless you. You are blessed. That's no persecution at all. 
Casual Christians are not comfortable with intensity and they will do everything they can to distract you from it. Oh, that we would never try to distract our brothers and sisters from a more intimate life with Jesus, but that we would encourage one another and say, hey, yeah, you got this. You know what? You go, I'm going to go home too, and I'll join you in prayer tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. You pray where you pray, I'll pray where I pray, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to, I'm going to add my faith to yours, and we're going to see this thing come. It's only when we're working together that we see the glory of God poured out. Psalm 133, where there is unity, there is a commanded blessing. It's like God can't stop himself. It's like God couldn't stop himself if he wanted to. I'm not saying that God's not sovereign, but when God sees unity, he pours out a blessing. I want to I turn over to Mark chapter, chapter 14. I don't have a slide for this, but we're going to read. So this is Mary of, of Martha and Mary. And so there's two accounts where two different women poured out oil upon the feet of Jesus. One is Mary Magdalene. And Jesus refers to her, and as he's talking to one of the Pharisees, and he says, this woman having many sins, right? And so that's Mary Magdalene. That's not Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany also anointed Jesus with oil. And here's what it says. We're going to start in verse 3. And it says, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. This, this oil that Mary had was her life savings. It says it was a very expensive flask. It was about a year's wages, it tells us in the scripture. There's several accounts of this story. It tells us that it was about a year's wages. Then she broke the flask and she poured the oil on Jesus's head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why, this fragrant, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Here, here we go. Here's the casual Christians. You know, it was the disciples, some of the disciples of Jesus, Judas especially, because he kept the money bag, it says, criticized Mary for what she did, but she was undaunted. Get a load of this. They're criticizing her audibly from what we can tell. And she's undaunted. She's unoffended. She refused to be offended. Oh, that we would get to a place where we're unoffendable. Oh, that we would get to a place where it's such devotion to Jesus that we're unoffendable. People can't offend us. This is a place that we can get to where people cannot offend us. They can do the most offensive thing that they can think of, and it just doesn't offend us. We choose not to be offended. It doesn't justify what they did, but we're just not offended. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to take part in that action anymore, but I'm not going to be offended because I'm going to continue to press into Jesus. And if I pick up an offense, and if I have unforgiveness, then that affects my walk with Jesus. And I don't want anything to affect my walk with Jesus. I want to be unoffendable. I want to be un unable to be offended. I have a great voice. Why didn't the worship director call on me to join the worship team? 
because you didn't check it on your box. Check it on your box. We're not mind readers. You're going to be offended over that. There's a lot more coming. Why didn't Pastor Matt ask me to help serve at the such and such? Check it on your box. Check the box. We need to communicate. If we don't communicate, I'm not a mind reader. The Holy Spirit speaks things to me. He does. He does. Matter of fact, Lexi, the Lord gave me a word for you. And uh, you're coming into a season where God's going to just open things up. You know, I know you've been following God, but it's going to be like you're saved all over again. You're going to be like, you're going to be, I see, you're just, you're so, you know, to look at Lexi, <laughs> you would think she's quiet and, and, and kind of shy, but there is something on the inside where, listen, girl, you know, you're going to, you, and the Lord's going to bring this out of you where you are just going to, you're going to be preaching the gospel. I see you standing in the streets, not necessarily at a pulpit. I see you standing in the streets. I don't know if it's the place where you work or the place where you go, and you're just going to be ripping, ripping, like just ripping it. And it's just, just, and so, but it's coming from the secret place that I know that you found it. You're found it. I know that it's coming from that secret place, but you're just, you, God's going to light a fire in you and you're not going to hand, you're not going to take it anymore and you're going to become a preacher. So yeah, God speaks to me, but he doesn't speak to me about the fact that you need to serve. He speaks to you about the fact that you need to serve and you need to check a box. It's as simple as checking a box. It's real simple. Where was I? She was unoffended. They criticized her sharply. And she was unoffended. It says in another uh, gospel, same story, says in another gospel that Judas criticized her because he was, he was the keeper of the money bag and he often used to steal from the money bag. And so if, he, if they could put a year's wages into the money bag, then he could, you know, he could pull a bit out of there and it'd go well for him, right? But I love this. It says, but Jesus said, let her alone. Jesus comes to her defense. She didn't need to stand up for herself. She didn't need to be offended. Jesus says, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a good work for me. For the poor you will have with you always. 2,000 years later, we still have the poor with us today. We can still care for the poor today. We can still give money to the poor today. But Jesus is no longer here in bodily form. And so we grieve. It's not okay as long as he hasn't come. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And listen to this. This is amazing. I'm amazed at this scripture. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told to her as a memorial. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. Listen, I'm going to read it again. This is just amazing. You know what? I want to be married. I want to pour the oil on Jesus' head and on his feet and all, the, all that she did. That's who I want to be because look at this. Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told to her, told of her as a memorial. Wherever the gospel's preached, wherever the gospel's preached, wherever the gospel's preached, 
Everywhere the gospels preach, this story will be told. I'm like, really? You know, I mean, I'm Jesus, I could think of a whole bunch of other stories that are better. Jesus, I could think of a whole other bunch of stories that would be more significant. You know, maybe it'll help the people a little bit better if we told them some different stories. This story, what Mary did, that's going to be told? Yes, that story. Back in 2003, a number of the missionary, missionary organizations gathered together to finally reach. It says, uh, the, the Bible says that G Jesus said, I will not come back until this gospel is preached to the whole world. And so in 2003, uh, all the different missionary organizations, and there's, there's a bunch of them and, and they're large, they got together and they decided that they were going to count up and divide up all of the remaining unreached people groups that have yet to receive the gospel. And so they did this. They gathered together and they determined that there were 2,600. In 2003, there were 2,600 unreached people groups around the world. Unreached people groups, not nations, okay? And so when we read in, in, the, in the text that it says, until this gospel is preached to every nation, they didn't have nations the way we had them today. It meant people group. And so if there's a tribe in Africa, that's a people group. If there's a tribe in Tibet, that's a people group. If there's a tribe someplace and they haven't heard the gospel from Mongolia, that's a people group. Anywhere as you go, that's a people 2,600, as of 2003, 2,600 unreached people groups. These missionary organizations, they got together and they divided them up and they said, you guys take this people, you guys take these people, we'll take these people and let's go and let's bring the word to the unreached, to the unreached, to the unreached. They got together again in 2018, December of 2018 and they, they got together and they, they started to count up the number of people groups that they had left. It was previously at 2,600. They counted up the number of people groups that they had left and they were down to 20. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The day is drawing nearer and nearer. There are, there are only 20 unreached people groups. They, take, they say that it's going to take about three to four years to reach those people groups for uh, language barriers and things like this. <laughs> we are closer than we've ever been to the return of Jesus. There has never been a better day to become a person of one thing and to press into the kingdom of God, to seek first the kingdom of God and allow his righteousness and everything that you need to be added unto you. There's never been a better day to become a person of one thing. One thing have I desired, that shall I seek, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord. One thing have I desired, that shall I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Come on. Jesus. And everywhere the gospel is preached, these 2,600 people groups that received the gospel, this story was told of Mary. This story was told. This story of devotion was told. How was the story of devotion told? Was it this exact story? It was... It, we can, we can argue over the interpretation of the scripture until we're blue in the face and none of us are ever going to win. But I'm telling you that when the, when the gospel is preached, it's the devotion that's preached. There is a devotion. One story that um, they were sharing as we, we heard this information, they, they hiked up into Tibet. They had to hike 18 miles with packs on their back and everything that they needed to go and bring the gospel. I'd sign up for that. I love hiking. 
while they were there, one of the stories, uh, just all of these stories, and they all just run together. One of the stories, while they were there in Tibet, snow fell. And they couldn't walk out because they didn't bring snowshoes. And so they had to wait for the snow to melt. And while they were there, they, they shared the gospel with this, the, the leader of the, the village, and he got saved. And so they, had, they were sleeping the next night. And as they went to sleep, he put on his little audio Bible and, he, and they wake up and he's still listening to it. He listened through the night. He kept a night watch listening to his Bible because he, he's illiterate. So they had an audio for him. And so he's listening to this audio Bible through the night. When was the last time we were so hungry for the word that we stayed up through the night? Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to receive the offering and then we're going to sing a song. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would become people of one thing. God, that we would be people with a single-minded devotion. God, that we would put Jesus at the front of everything that we do, that we would seek first the kingdom of God, and that you would add all things to us. God, we give you glory because you are worthy. We give you glory because you are holy. And God, we seek you with our whole hearts. God, we commit ourselves to be people of one thing, that we would have a single-minded devotion. God, that we would seek you early and we would seek you first. God, that when a challenge arises in our life, we would say, Jesus, what are we going to do about this problem? Jesus, what are you going to do about this problem? God, we determine to seek you with our whole hearts. God, we determine to seek you with our whole lives. God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us in such a fashion, God, that we're not able to contain it. God, that we would come to a place of overflow. God, that as you pour out your spirit in our lives, that it would overflow out of us and onto those around us. God, that the light that, was, that is within us would shine out of us and that it would dispel the darkness no matter where we go. That it's you in us, God, not of ourselves. Fill us to overflowing, Lord. Fill us to overflowing, Lord. Fill us to overflowing, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.